Acts chapter number 16 is where we're going to be today. Acts chapter number 16. You know, my heart is full, my mind is racing, so many emotions, things uh, I feel like I ought to say, ought to do to give this, uh, give this time justice. Talking my dad before the service. Uh, it's been about 12 years since I graduated from Bible College, and kind of winding road to bring me here, but I, I feel like I've made it home. And I'm thrilled to death to be here. And I don't know. This may not be the best way of saying this, but this is the best way I can think of saying it. Um, I hope y'all like me. I like y'all. And my goal is. Either you're going to bury me or I'm going to bury you. Okay? We're in this for the long haul, as far as I'm concerned. So, unless you get sick of me, we're going to be here for a long haul. And I look forward to the journey with you. It is good to have the hands with us. I'm intimidated having somebody on the mission field for that long. That is amazing. The faithfulness, uh, they deserve every bit of honor, every bit of recognition, and then some. That we can offer them. You know, honestly, he ought to be up here preaching instead of me. Um, so glad to have y'all. I've, I've heard about y'all, but to actually get to meet y'all has been an absolute honor. And I'm so glad y'all could be here with us. Now, what I want to do here, I'm going to take what was one sermon of mine, <laughs> and we're going to split it up into three parts. And so this is going to be part one. Lord willing, for the next couple of Sundays, you'll get part two and part three. But I want to look at one of the best churches in the scriptures. And, and I don't know, it's really not fair to compare churches. Every church has strengths. Every church has weaknesses. And you read the scriptures of, of the different churches. I mean, just look at the seven churches that, that uh, John wrote about in the book of Revelation. There's strengths, there's weaknesses. Some are good, some are not very good at all. You take the church at Corinth. Paul has to write two books to them to help try to straighten them out because they had a lot of problems. Uh, there's other churches. The church at Ephesus was a pretty strong church. But one, one of the churches that I love to read about, and I, I love just the entire story about, is the church at Philippi. Now, probably best known for the letter Paul writes there in the book of Philippians. And such classic classic verses we all can quote. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. There's, there's, there's tons of just great, you can just feel the love Paul has for that church just dripping and oozing from that, from each and every verse in that book. So what I want to do is I want to look, take, a, take, a, take a few weeks here, we're going to spend some time I want to look at how that church came to be, who was in the church and what helped make that church a great church. And hopefully it's something we can learn from their example. Now today we're going to try to get Paul there. We may not get much done in Philippi, but we're going to get Paul there. Because the whole story is a fantastic story worth reading. And that's chapter number 16 and verse number 6. Now we, we're going to pick up right in the middle here of Paul's second missionary journey. You know, flip to the back of your Bible and you look at the little map and you see where, uh, where Paul traveled. This is his second missionary journey that on. And he's traveling around the region that they called back then Asia Minor. 
Now today it's modern day Turkey. Wouldn't recommend going there for tourist destinations uh, necessarily, but uh, but that's that's the region of the world he's traveling in. And we pick up verse number six with all these great names. I'm gonna do my best to pronounce correctly. It says now when they had gone, that's Paul and his team, Paul and Silas mainly, had gone throughout Phrygia in the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go unto Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. In verse number 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia, and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Let's open with a word of prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for those of us that are gathered here. Lord, what an encouragement it is to see the faces, Lord, to see the people and the, the kinship we share, not just in where we live, Lord, but in our kinship and being your children. Lord, we pray that you meet with us this hour, Lord. Just let me get out of the way and deliver this message that you've given to me today. And let me a, a, a challenge and a blessing to these people as it has been to me as, as I've studied it. Bless this hour. Holy Spirit, do a work in hearts and lives. Praise on Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you go back, one thing about studying the Bible that is very important. Context is key. Context is key. If you want to understand the verse, you need to read the chapter. If you want to understand the chapter, you need to read the book. What's happening here is to set the whole stage there was a problem that had arisen in the early church. And that was a group of Jewish believers tried to enforce the old Mosaic law on these new Christians. And it created quite a controversy. In fact, Paul fights that throughout his entire ministry. Well, they finally had a conference and they got together and they, they come, to the, come to a solution. And so Paul goes out on his second missionary journey to, to proclaim what they had decided, proclaim the, the, the truth that we as Christians are not under the law anymore. Christ fulfilled the law. And as he's going around revisiting places he had visited on his first missionary journey, something happened. We see there in verse number 6, he's in Phrygia. And we all know Phrygia. Everybody's been to Phrygia, right? It's a cold place, you know. Bad joke. But uh, Phrygia, it's a region. In fact, I thought that if, 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 if Bill had been here, I was actually going to try to get a map up there. I, I like maps and stuff just to kind of illustrate. You can look back in the Bible and, and see some of this. But Phrygia, it's a region there in central Turkey. It once had been a great kingdom. In fact, if you go and study the history, I've heard of King Midas, the guy who touched things for the gold. This supposedly was where he was from. Uh, the Gordian knot, that's way too myth mythological for most people, but uh, that whole story is supposedly based here. This, this used to be an ancient kingdom. And by the time Paul gets here, it's just a little region, but he, he's there and he's preaching the gospel. He'd gone throughout there visiting. Then he goes to Galatia. This is the same Galatia that he wrote the book of Galatians to, to these believers and these, these churches there. Now, uh, Galatia it's a little bit northeast of Phrygia. The book of Galatians was written there. 
It's actually uh, named after the Gallic tribes who used to live there, the, the tribes of people that, that, that were, were from there. They're going along there, but then something happens. It says, the Holy Spirit stopped them. Now, if they're going about, they're doing good. Paul's preaching the gospel. People are being saved. Churches are being started. Churches are being strengthened. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, Whoa, Paul, that's enough. You don't need to be here. Now, I don't know about you. I have been to those kind of places. You're walking somewhere immediately. The Holy Spirit pricks your heart and says, Whoa, you don't need to be here. I've been there before. And in this case, as Paul is traveling, suddenly the door slams shut in his face. But he doesn't know where to go. He just knows where he's at, where he's been going, isn't the right direction. So then we pick up in verse number 7. It says they went to go to Mysia. That's a little bit northwest. In fact, the city of Pergamos that you see there in the book of Revelation is actually in this area. Not a, not a well-known area by any stretch, but he starts moving. He said, well, God's stopping me from going this direction. I'll go this direction. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to go and keep proclaiming the truth. So he goes in a new direction to Mysia. And then he said he goes to Bithynia. This is uh, right along the north coast of Turkey, right along the Black Sea. And he's got plans. He's got visions. And I, I can see him as he's, as he's laying out his vision for what he wants to do. Well, once I finish here, I'll go there. Oh, we could go to this city. And oh, I, I had a contact, I had a friend, a family member tell me about these people over here. I'll go there, I'll visit them. He had, I imagine Paul had this all planned out in his mind. But God stops him again. He says, that's not the right way to go. Now, Paul doesn't fight the leading of the Spirit. He doesn't go against it. But he does keep going. That's one of the things I like about Paul. By the way, Christ is our ultimate example. He's who we ought to strive to be like. Unfortunately, he's the son of God. He's perfect. We're never going to reach that level of perfection. I'm going to tell you, my, my personal opinion, I think Paul is our attainable example in the scriptures. I think Paul may have been the greatest Christian to ever live. And if you could be like anybody, if you could be like Paul, you have been a great success in your life. So they go... Now, they go down to uh, verse number 8. They pass through Mysia. No, that's not where they're supposed to be. They go down to Troas. Now, this was the modern city in ancient times of what the ancient city of Troy used to be. The ancient side of the city of Troy was about four miles outside the, of the, this city. And if you remember the city of Troy, if you remember way back in grade school, the, if you stayed away during all the stories of the Iliad and all the Greek, Stories, the Trojan War, and the Trojan Horse, and uh, Achilles, and all those heroes, and uh, was Hector, and all those guys. That was the city all that stuff supposedly took place in. So there's all this history as you go around this this region. That's where that's where Paul is at now. He goes to Troas. Now, the other thing that's interesting here is basically, if you look at the map, Troas is about as far west as you go. God keeps stopping him from going east or north. And now Paul has basically backed himself up against the Aegean Sea. He's about to run as far west without getting his feet wet as he can. And he stopped. Where do we go? God's stopping. God's not leading me that direction. Where is he leading me to? Here he is in Troas. Where am I supposed to be? Where am I supposed to go? And then in verse number 9, God reveals his plan to him. 
and in a dream at night, he sees a man. Now, always struck it as interesting to me is that he immediately sees this guy and knows he's from Macedonia. I don't know what it is about that, but he just immediately... I think the Texans, you know, the cowboy hat build up. I'm like, yeah, that guy's a Texan, you know, the, the stereotypical deal. I don't know if it was like that, if the, the way the guy spoke, his accent gave it away, but Paul just knows this guy's from Macedonia. There's something about that that gives it away. And this man begs Paul, saying, come over and help us. Come over and minister to us. Now, Macedonia... It's across the sea there. You have the Aegean Sea, Black Sea, Aegean Sea. goes up here. I am doing maps with my hand, okay? You all can see all that, right? <laughs> uh, but it's across the sea. And by the way, this is a major deal because by crossing that sea, you also cross from what we consider the continent of Asia to the continent of Europe. And crossing that some 70 miles of water right there. Now, Macedonia also has a long history. There was a very famous king there. His name was Philip II. Everybody's heard of Philip II, right? Right, Philip II of Macedonia. No. You've probably heard of his son, though. His son's name was Alexander. Alexander the Great. Yeah, everybody knows Alexander the Great, how he went about to conquer most of the then-known world. This was the homeland some 400 years before that Alexander the Great had come from. It was a northern uh, region there of Greece. So Paul, having this revealed to him and seeing where he's supposed to go, what does he do? He goes. He takes off. In fact, I, I like it. Um, I mean, it just takes right off. Next verse 11 says, Loosing from Troas. So it's like, hey, boys, let's get a boat. Let's go. So verse number 11, they, they leave Troas. They hop on a boat. They go over to Samothracia. That's a little island that's halfway in between. Sam was a dangerous business back then. He tried to make short trips if he could. Samothracia is this little island. In fact, it's only about eight miles by six miles, as I looked it up. It's about 30 miles, almost exactly in the middle. It's about 30 miles um, from either direction there, traveling to it. So they go and they stop there. The next, in verse 11, they go to the town of Neapolis. Now, here's your ancient history lesson on top of every other ancient history lesson I've just gave you. <laughs> Ancient cities often were not built right on the coast for the weather, for a multitude of different reasons. Rome itself was built a little bit inland. It had its own port city, so Ostia was the most famous of which. And they would build that over on the coast, and then they would ship all the goods and all the trade back overland into the city. Well, Neapolis is that port city for Philippi. It's about, I think, seven or ten miles away from what the town of Philippi actually was. But he goes he, he goes there. Now, by the way, when he says foot there, he's in Macedonia. He's right where God wants him to be. But he goes on to the town of Philippi in verse number 12. Now, Philippi is described as the chief uh, city of that part. This was, a, this was a major city in the region. Now, in history, is this one of the great cities? Is this uh, Athens? Is it Rome? Is it Alexandria? No, it's not. But for the region, this was a pretty important town. It's also got some pretty interesting uh, history. Philip II, Alexander's dad, uh, conquered his little settlement. He conquered it, named after himself. 
because if you're the king and you conquer people, you name stuff after yourself, right? So he named it after himself. It was the town of Philippi. The most famous, the, the, the two most famous claims of fame, the one is that Paul went there. The other is that there was a major battle fought outside there that has to do with Roman history. After um, Julius Caesar was assassinated, you had the, the liberators, uh, Brutus and those guys, uh, who were basically trying to hold on to the old Roman Republic. Well, the final battle that sealed the fate and defeated them and set up what would become the, the empire of Rome with uh, Augustus becoming the first emperor was the Battle of Philippi. It took place right out of here. As Mark Anthony and uh, Octavian fought the forces, including Brutus, the most famous of uh, Caesar's assassins. That took place out of here. And after that, years later, in fact, Oct uh, Octavian, who becomes Caesar Augustus, never forgot this place. He actually establishes a colony there, <laughs> and they start settling retired Roman soldiers there. It's a very interesting history uh, of this place in that. In fact, is one of the few places in the ancient world that when you were there, you were under Roman laws if you were in Rome. They had a very special jurisdiction there uh, that, that, uh, that was part of that. This region, at one time, it had gold mines in the hills. Look, that's really pretty. There's hills and big flat plain. It used to be very marshy. But the gold mines have all played out by now. It's also a major trade route, the Via Ignatia, uh, that the, the, the Romans, a lot of trade from east come through on. So, fairly populous town, a lot of retired Roman soldiers there, very Roman feel to the place, fairly prosperous due to trade. But all that pales in comparison to what happens next, because Paul shows up, because the man of God shows up, and that town ain't never going to be the same. An eternal difference is made because one man showed up. The story goes, as we look at this, that Paul shows up, and I'm just going to skim over this because we're going to spend some more time on this next week. But in verse number 14, he shows up. He meets a lady named Lydia, who's a seller of purple dye. She's actually from the city of Thyatira, back on the other side of the ocean. So she's not even from there. And this is in my mind. Is Paul's going around Philippi? I think he's looking for the man he saw in the vision. I think he's looking for the man from Macedonia he saw in the vision. But who's the first person he meets? It's Lydia. It's not even a man. It's, it's a lady. She's a businesswoman, fairly fairly prosperous. So it's not the one, but does that stop Paul from talking? No. She gets saved. Her house gets saved. In fact, the church meets in her house. She becomes a very influential person there. The next person he meets, or that we kind of have mentioned here, is a slave girl who was demon-possessed. Who her owners used her as like fortune teller and made money off of her. Paul cast demons out of her. She's healed. And he committed the number one sin in the world uh, when you're evangelizing, he's hitting people in the pocketbook. And the owners were very upset. They dragged Paul before the courts. And uh, there's so much history here. I would love. I'm already bored to death with history. The, the, the whole trial here goes in and confirms the history and the legal system that they had. But they're dragged before the courts. They're beaten. They're thrown in jail. Him and Silas and his songs have been sung and sermons have been preached out. There at midnight, they were singing 
They're praising God even though they've been beat, even though they're locked in prison. And the earthquake comes. Their bonds are loose. The doors are open wide. And the Philippian jailer, moments away from going into eternity without Christ, heartbeat away from dying and going to hell, is saved. Again, he takes them. He goes back to his house. His, his household gets saved. They're baptized. He entreats them uh, as honored guest and, and treats their wounds. And it's an amazing story. The best part about it, also, I think, is the last part. Nobody ever covers this. Paul was a Roman citizen. None of that meaning, none of that should happen. That was purely illegal what they did to him. So when he brings up the fact, well, hey guys, I'm a Roman citizen. The, the magistrates, the people, the rulers sent him word, said, okay, I'll just leave town quietly. He said, wait a minute. I don't want to leave town quietly. I'm a Roman citizen. You guys beat me. That's illegal. You come down here and walk me out. That's the Texas version of what goes on. You can, you can read this. But basically, he makes a stand and says, guys, y'all come down here. And so they actually come and escort him out of town. And he stops and sees the church as he goes on. So anyway, that, that's, you think God didn't have a sense of humor. There's little moments like that in the scripture. And even Paul has a sense of humor. I love it. All this happens. All this starts because Paul's going along. Paul's doing doing the work of the ministry. He's preaching the gospel. He's seeing souls saved. He's, he's strengthening the churches. He's discipling people. He's encouraging. And in the middle of that, God closes the door in front of him. And then slowly, God begins to lead him in a new direction. Now, a few things to note from this. Paul was obedient to God's directions. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. He was ever listening for God's command. He was ready to go. You know, too many times in our own lives, we get an idea of what we want to do. We get an itinerary. <laughs> I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be an astronaut. After I'm an astronaut, I'm going to be a movie star. And after I'm a movie star, I'm going to... We all get these plans in our lives. And if that's ridiculous, most of our plans honestly are. And what, what usually happens, you fall in love, you have a family, and things never go quite the way you plan, but they always turn out better, it seems like. But as Paul, as he had plans, as he had places he wanted to go, he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit's lead. God moved him to the area he needed to be in. Paul obeyed immediately when God's will was made clear. When the, when the doors were opened up, when God said, hey, you need to be in Macedonia, he says, okay, get me a ticket on the next ship. Let's go. He obeyed immediately. So he wasn't just listening for God. As soon as he knew the will of God, he stepped out in faith and did it. Now, I'll point out to you that Paul literally changed history on this trip. I mentioned before that in sailing that 70-some-odd miles, He left what we consider the continent of Asia and went to the continent of Europe. This is the first recorded missionary work we have in Europe. Now, why is that important? Well, we as Americans, where do we trace our heritage from? England and a bunch of other places. A lot of us will point back to the pilgrims, especially our spiritual heritage. We will point back to this, you know, those early settlers, the pilgrims and other ones. Well, where did they get their influence from? And you want to trace it all back? 
think it goes back to right here. Because Paul listened to God and sailed into a new land, did a new work somewhere. It's an amazing story. Literally, the world changes right there. Because what, where, has, where has Christianity best been preserved throughout the century? It's been in Europe. Most Christian here, especially our Christian church, comes out of Europe. Where does that start? It starts right here as Paul travels over there into this new region. Now listen, Paul, did he know that there was going to be a, a strong church established there? No. All he knew was God wants me there and that's where I need to be. Did he know that same church would be a tremendous blessing and that he would reap some benefit back from that investment he put in them? Because as we're going to find out, go read the book. Part of the reason the book of Philippians was written is a thank you letter to that church because they sent him help. They sent him aid. Did he know that? No. He didn't care. He wasn't in it for himself. He wasn't in it for personal reward. He just obeyed the will of God. What Paul did know, he knew his Christian duty to evangelize and disciple. He knew the great commission that was given him to go out and preach the gospel to all nations, to every creature. To, to win them, to baptize them, to disciple them. He knew what his goal was. He knew what his mission was. And he did that faithfully. And he did know and he had the confidence and the faith that he was doing God's perfect will for his life. It's the best place in the world to be. It's right in the smack down in the center of God's will for your life. Now I'll go back and revisit some one other point real quick. Did Paul ever find the man in the vision? Did he ever, you know, as far as we have there in recording the scriptures, Lydia, well, she wasn't a man, that kind of spoils her. And she wasn't even from there. She's actually from across the sea by the time. The Philippian jailer probably was Roman. The slave girl, well, she wasn't a man from Macedonia either. She probably was Greek. But as far as we know, he never really found that man. I wonder if he just kept searching for that man, searching for that man. But think of all the people that were saved. Think of all the lives that were changed along the way as he was looking for that man. Now, next time, like I said, this is going to be probably a three-parter. <laughs> next time, we're going to look at the people who make up this church. And I, I, I will make a case for eight different people that are connected to this church and what we can learn from them. Week after that, we'll look at what the church became and look at some of the things we can learn from it, some goals we can set based on that church. But I want to, I want to close with this. Listen, to, today's a very special day personally for me. And I know that y'all understand that. I know that y'all are playing a big part in that. <laughs> you know, we don't often know we don't often realize what God has in store for us. We often don't know where he's leading us. Oftentimes we just know maybe the next step. Oftentimes we may not know the big picture. We know what we're supposed to be doing at the moment. We know we ought to be faithful. We know we ought to love him. But maybe we don't have a, a, a long-term goal in mind that God gives us. You know, when Paul set out on that second missionary journey, He's revisiting churches he had established before, seeing friends from before, winning new people to the Lord. He never dreamed he would get on that boat and sail across and be filled by He never dreamed he would do that. I thought back in the book of Esther. 
Esther's uncle Mordecai makes a statement. I love the phrase in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. He talks about her. He says, maybe you've been put in the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe, by the way, she was to save the Jewish people. I don't want to get sidetracked by a whole different story. And a whole different history lesson. But I love that phrase, such a time as this. Paul had a lot of such a times as this in his life. He just happened to be in the right place at the right time, right where God wanted. Once was on the Damascus Road where God called him. At this point in time, one of those such times, this was a, a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to go to a new, uh, a new land. And he's going to continue to have these. You read the book of Acts. He still has those moments. I can't help but feel, and maybe it is just my faith in God's plan and in God's hand, but I can't help but feel that we are in the middle of a such a time as this. I think two months ago there was a such a time as this when two people happened to pull into a gas station they never stopped at. They just happened to meet. They just happened to, hey, what's, what's Matt doing? We need a pastor. We, we, weren't on any, we weren't on each other's radar at all. But one of those such a times as this when God just aligns things, I think that. And for me, it's been a long road. I surrendered to preach the gospel when I was in the third grade. I did what you were supposed to do. You had to go to Bible college and you, you learn. Doors didn't open up for me quite like other people did. Uh, they did for other people. Came back home and you know, the doors never really did open up quite like I would expect them to. I tried to be faithful and then everywhere I went, I, I always got busy. It's like everywhere you go, they just kept finding more stuff for me to do. And now, a little over 12 years later, after Bible college is done, and me thinking, I'm going to set the world on fire, you know, I'm going to be, you know, God's brought me on a path. And now he's brought me here. He's brought me to y'all. He's brought y'all to me. I'm so faithful to be here. I'm so faithful I can be your pastor. Y'all are crazy. Y'all don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> Paul said, and I don't even remember the exact passage now, but I thought about the verse. He, he thanked God that counted him faithful. Everything we've been through, and it, you know, broad scheme of things have been horrible, but that God brought us here, brought my family here, that y'all welcomed us uh, with open arms. Uh, listen, I'm excited for Faith Baptist Church. I'm excited. Y'all have got such a great thing going on here. With or without me, y'all have got a great thing going on here. Y'all have got a wonderful bunch of people. Y'all have a beautiful building. I look forward to seeing what God's going to do here. Amen. And it's going to be in spite of me. <laughs> but I look forward to seeing what God's going to do. I feel, honestly, I feel like I heard an old story once about an elephant and a flea. Flea was riding on the elephant's back and they came across a, a gorge. And there was one of those old rickety uh, rope bridges, you know, the boards across. Elephant and flea go across that bridge. And flea riding on the elephant's back and go across that bridge. And uh, boy, you know, you can imagine an elephant, that, that bridge is swaying and rocking. And 
they get over to the other side of the wing, what's down the offense. Boy, we shook that bridge. I feel like if we, I feel like I'm just along for the ride for what God's going to do. I'm excited. I'm, I'm so thrilled at what I've seen so far. I can't wait for the future. I can't wait for the future. I hope you're here with me to see it. Now, we're going to have a time of invitation. Now, if you would, please stand. And listen, if God's spoken to your heart, listen, this, this message has been a challenge to me. It's very personal to me. I feel like God has given me that kind of Macedonian call. He's brought me to a new place, and he has a plan for me. He has a plan for you, too. I hope we're all ready and willing to listen to God's word, listen to the Holy Spirit's leading and to act on it. So let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here, Lord. What a wonderful Sunday it's been. I thank you for allowing me to be here, Lord. pray that you just bless this church, bless this congregation, Lord. Such wonderful people that love you. Now, I know, Lord, and I trust that you've got great plans and you've got a bright future for this church. I'm so glad you just let me be a part of it. Bless this hour and this invitation conference on precious name. Amen. Amen.